Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Gear 30 on the Blister Podcast Network. I'm Jonathan Ellsworth, and you can check out everything we're doing and reviewing over at blisterreview.com. Okay, today we've got for you another Shop Talk episode where we talk with folks from one of our Blister-recommended shops to get their perspective on a mix of topics ranging from broadly applicable to all of us, regardless of where we live, to topics that help us better understand what's going on in the local community that each shop serves. And so with us today is Megan Shenton, who is the head of the ski department at Outdoor Gear Exchange, a.k.a. Gear X, a.k.a. OGE, which is located in Burlington, Vermont. Megan and I talk a bit about how this ski season is shaping up so far out in New England. We talk about the history of Outdoor Gear Exchange and how the shop has evolved over the years. Then, of course, we spend some time talking about gear, including some of Megan's personal favorite gear, as well as some of the staff's favorite products at Outdoor Gear Exchange. And Megan and I might even spend a little time talking about grass puppies. Yeah, you'll see. And so let's go ahead and get to my conversation with Megan. Here we go. Well, Megan, welcome to Gear 30. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. You've been doing some skiing recently. Where have you been skiing? And tell me a little bit about how it was. I have been doing a lot of skiing at Smuggler's Notch Resort in Vermont. I've heard of Vermont. It's just a small little, nice little quaint area of the Northeast. Hmm. Very small. A lot, of, a lot of cows as my neighbors there. I love um, cows. Right? They're so fun. I love them. They do, they do great things for us. Sure. They're like large puppies. Re- they really are. One of my friends once described them to me as grass puppies. Grass puppies. And every puppies. time I drive by them, I'm like, oh, grass puppies. There they are. I love that. And I shall use that now. <laughs> um, how was the skiing? It's been good. It's a slow start, mm-hmm. as one would call it. A little icy, a little mm-hmm. soft snow here and there. But it's been good compared to some previous years. Worse than other previous years. Mm-hmm. But overall, a typical start to the year where a lot of groomer runs, a lot of resort days, not a lot of backcountry right now, hopefully soon. Yeah. But it's been fun just to get out. I was actually having this conversation with somebody earlier today. Of all years in the history of Earth, this is no year for us to be complaining about slow starts to any seasons. The fact that we can go outside, those of us who are in a position to do that, I'm like, I'm all for it. I mean, like, I'm I'm just having a great time skiing and very thankful to be skiing. And I don't even... And honestly, like, there's just no talk among really anybody. It's like, yeah, some people... I was talking to somebody in Utah today and they're like, ah, it's, you know, kind of low tide. and But it's like, so what? We're, we're all skiing, so... Yeah. Skiing, that's the best part. At least we're out here. At least we're on a chairlift. There's snow on the ground that we can slide over. The only thing that would make it better is if we got to ski with grass puppies. Right, just like throwing them on some some little snow sticks and just watching them go. Mm-hmm. That would be just a dream of mine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> it's something to to aspire to. It really is. So we have identified so far that you are currently talking to us from somewhere in Vermont. You've been yes. skiing Smuggler's Notch, and um, you have an affiliation 
with Gear Exchange, aka Gear X. Yes. And walk us through this. Which do you do you all affiliated with this shop have a preference for what we call it? Are we going just Gear X these days? Are we going Gear Exchange? Either one? Yeah, either one. Uh, some people would call it like OGE for short. Mm-hmm. Outdoor Gear Exchange, Gear X. You have three. Any of yeah, I've heard a few people just call it OG. Heard some people call it OG. Really, as long as it involves the letters, it's it works apparently. I think I'm good with all of those except OG. Me too. No, no. I'm a big fan of OGE. Just like quick OGE. to the point. But Gear X, it's a sticker on my car. Everyone recognizes it. Gear X. It's the Gear sticker X. on your car. Yes. Tell us a little bit about Gear X, a.k.a. OGE. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about the history of it. And um, we'll kind of move through some history of the shop and sort of what you all are up to today at the, yeah. At the OGE, as as wrong people refer to it as. <laughs> so, Outdoor Gear Exchange is a pretty neat company. Started off in 1995. It originally started really as a consignment shop, really just trying to get people out there from all backgrounds. It has grown exponentially in the last 25 years. So, we are in the spring was our 25th anniversary, which was awesome. We've moved through four different locations in downtown Burlington each time getting bigger and bigger currently at our fourth location, but it's just a pretty large store in downtown Burlington um, on church street. So that main street that everyone knows and it's two stories of basically anything outdoor that anyone would ever need, which is awesome from paddling, climbing, clothing, camping, skiing, biking, all of those categories under one roof with a, about 150 experts working in different aspects of the store or from home at this time. 150? Around 140 to 150, yeah. Not everyone's in the store every day. It'll right. be way too many. Um, yeah, there's. we have different aspects of the store from like people who work on our actual website, gearx.com, to our floor staff, to our back of house management, people making sure that all the products in the right place, service techs. There are so many positions that I honestly can't always keep track of all of them, but it's a pretty cool place to be. And do you have an official title yourself at GearX? I do. I am currently the department head of ski. So I oversee some day-to-day operations on our ski department, which takes up about, I want to say like a fifth of our current floor for sales. Maybe a lot less, but I can't actually. I'm bad at spatial awareness. So what I think of is fifth. Did you just completely make that up? Like, because you I thought did. it sounded good? Like I one did fifth? It in my head. And I was like, it's on the on like the first floor. And then I forgot about the second floor. Right. And then it's just hard to, I only really, I hang out in this one corner of the store and I think it's bigger than it is. It's really not that big. It's pretty small, but. Kind of confused, but also amused that you just, I think really, truly in the spot just came up with one fifth. I did. It's like when a upstairs yeah lots of ski stuff going on yeah so actually our entire uh, ski um department so ski snowboard nordic that's all upstairs our entire downstairs is going to be our entire consignment area as well as paddling um and like our sale area so it's a huge basement of super deals as well as paddling and currently in the winter time it's our bike area as well and then yeah how long have you been at gear exchange I've been there since so it's about two and a half years. I started in May 2018. Um, 
right after I graduated college, within a week, I started working there. Hmm. Just wanted to like move to Burlington and got the job and it's been great. Where'd you go to school? What did you study? <laughs> I went to school at Hobart William Smith over in Western New York, where I studied sociology and child advocacy. Hmm. So translated great into skiing. <laughs> I'm like trying to think about how child <laughs> advocacy sort of, yeah, was a perfect, you know, inroads into being the head of the ski department at Gear Exchange. Sociology can, you can maybe find a connection there, but child advocacy, not, not too much right now. Huh. We'll have, maybe one day. Yeah. We'll have to, we'll have to evolve that, think through that a bit. Where are you originally from? I'm originally over by the Sunapee area of New Hampshire, so about two hours away from where I currently am. Mount Sunapee growing up was a pretty well-known mountain for like the whole Boston area, Dartmouth area, but nice little area. And, you know, for people who have not been to Burlington, Vermont, what should people sort of know about Burlington in your opinion? To me, it is a city. It is a Big town with about uh, 60, 40 to 60,000 people maximum. So to me, it's a huge city. To anyone coming, it is a town. Uh-huh. So to me, I grew up in a town with about 3,000 people in it. And that's what I considered a town. So coming to Burlington, I'm like, oh, yeah, come to the city. So if you're coming to Burlington, it is, it's not a city. There's one major main street of downtown, the waterfront, a few other side streets of like, happening things and that's really it it's pretty small but, but it's but for you i mean it's pretty much manhattan yes yeah. i go to a, i go to boston and i get overwhelmed within two hours yeah just think of the the grass puppies exactly and then everything gets better and keep calm yeah <laughs> well one of the things i was really interested in talking with you about is you know certainly i probably starting almost 10 months ago with COVID coming up, we were all, I think, starting to make predictions about um, perhaps the rise in the popularity of backcountry skiing. And yet, please correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like Gear Exchange has been sort of on that tip for a real long time. Like you guys are not a shop that's like scrambling to be like, oh my goodness, apparently this thing called backcountry <laughs> skiing is big right now. Um, so I don't know, talk a little bit about how different this year feels because of that, or if it's like, yeah, really not at all. Like this is what we've kind of been doing for a long time now. Yeah, it's definitely, it's busier in different ways. Like you said, we've been working with backcountry for several years prior to this. It's our main aspect of our ski department is backcountry skiing um, with a smaller focus on al down, true alpine skiing. So normally we get really busy between the times of early to mid-November through Christmas. Everyone's trying to get ready for the ski season because that's generally when New England skiing really takes off. They want to get those Christmas presents in, holiday presents in. This year it was just as busy then, but it was we were at capacity to get boot fits in in September and October. So the busiest levels that we saw in December were all the way in October. So, which we were kind of sloganing our inventory this year. So normally we have a lot of inventory this year, but because of shipment delays, just like every ski shop probably across the country had saw, it was a little bit slower to get all the inventory. And so it'd be like, all right, come back in like two weeks, come back in three weeks. And then just getting a pe as many people set up as possible and 
we were pretty ready for it in October, which was nice. Um, we had a lot of inventory, had a lot of staff trained up, ready to go. But that was our biggest difference was that we were much busier at a time where normally we're still really focused on bikes, camping, all the more summer-oriented activities. People just were getting real proactive about like, we, we want to get our stuff dialed in yeah. in advance. Probably hearing a lot of the warnings of like, you better go yeah. now. Yeah, if you had any friends who are involved in any aspect of biking, whether it be road, gravel, or mountain, they experienced a lot of shortages in parts, gear, all over the board. So they probably warned everybody, be like, this happened in bike, it might happen in ski, go get all your stuff. And I like hit the bug early too, and I, I got all of my stuff in August and September. I was like, I'm just going to get it early, just in case, because I experienced that with the bike issues. And it got busy early, and now... It's slowed down a little bit now, which in past years were still pretty early, busy around this time. It's wild. <laughs> and talk a little bit about just the how this ski season is going. I mean, you said it's, you know, maybe off to a bit of a slower start this year. But in your estimation, just from what you're seeing um, and talking with people, does it seem like it's sort of going okay out in New England when it comes to operating lifts or people getting into the backcountry. Like, give us a state of the union on that. Yeah. So, in terms of, there's the huge itch to get to the backcountry. I have that itch. I love Vermont backcountry skiing. The whole reason I do it is to get to these fun, weird places that you can't get to by a lot of the lift resorts. Um, and a lot of people are having the itch. So, mountains have been generous enough to kind of expand some of their backcountry hours until earlier or later in the mornings. Um, so a lot of people are going out on the weekends in the morning before resorts are open. You just There's mean, no, sorry, just to, yeah. just to clarify, you mean just uphill policies? Uphill policies, okay. yeah. So earlier in the season, a lot of mountains didn't have an uphill policy, so everyone had their gear. Mountains had maybe one or two trails open, but no one was allowed to use their gear on that uphill. Um, in the past like month or so, a lot of those resorts have started to open up their uphill policies so people can still get used to their new gear, go uphill, just experience backcountry. Um, but sadly, we don't have enough snow to go into the actual woods and areas that are designated that everyone's looking to go to right now. Um, but resorts have been as accommodating as they can to help us out, which has been really awesome. And this is a very anecdotal question, right? But, you know, it's something that certainly skiing here in Crested Butte you know, rolling into lift lines and that kind of thing, just just sort of trying to get, put your finger on the pulse of like, how are people's attitudes? Are there a bunch yeah. of people like just shirking, like flat out kind of shirking policies about masks and the rest? And honestly, I mean, we're skiing a lot here and yeah. I'm honestly not, I'm seeing very, very, very little of that. People are, they seem to be complying Overall, people are just kind of doing their thing. And it seems like, in large part, people are just psyched that we're actually able to do this. But I, yeah. is that similar to what you're seeing? or? Yeah, I think a lot of people coming in, I've heard a ton of people buying boots and skis from us being like, I want this set up in case the mountains close down again. This is like, in case we have my season gets cut short again, I don't want to lose out on any skiing. So the fact that the mountains are open and they have all these policies in place, people are just stoked to be out there. I don't know about a lot of other resorts, but at Smugs, they have really separate lift lines. They have people walking up and like checking for masks and everyone, 
majority of people I see at that lift line is being very compliant because they know if like anything happens, they're going to lose their mountain and nobody wants to lose their mountain right now. Cause it's been kind of like almost like a safe haven for people just to get out and be outside. Yeah. I think that's, that's certainly been my experience around here. So let's talk a little bit about East coast skiing. Tell me one or two things that you think people should know about resort skiing or backcountry skiing in the East? There's a lot. Uh, I think there's a lot that goes into East Coast skiing that people don't realize. And the first is we get a lot of, or maybe they do know, that we get a lot of mixed terrain here. Um, In one run, you're going to go from six to eight inches of powder to a complete sheet of ice where you will just slide down with no edges to a complete bump run. So we get a lot of versatility in a lot of terrain. Our trees tend to be a lot tighter. So for me, I find that East coast skiing and like you can get a little bit more technical in those trees because we get very, very tight rocks, branches down everything. So there's a lot more awareness that goes into that. All I know is really East coast skiing. I've done a little bit of skiing out West as like, weeks or two weeks long vacations growing up. But to me, there's not like a super huge difference other than maybe mountain sizes um, that you get quicker runs almost just because mountains are a little bit shorter. But I think that's something most people know. Also the time that I have a lot of friends who ski out West and ski sizes are drastically different um, where their everyday skis are tend to be much more of a wider versatile all mountain ski versus an East coast ski tends to be a little bit more of a narrower versatile all mountain ski, just in case we do have run into that trail where it goes from soft snow to powder to all of a sudden you have an entire hundred foot stretch of just sheer ice and nothing else, which was similar to conditions today. <laughs> you were, you got to ski some sheer ice today. Oh yeah. Yeah. I tried to make a turn and uh, just ski. My leg just went one way and I just kept sliding and it was, pretty fun (laughs) it does not sound that fun in just the way you described it there i confess but but yeah i'm I'm not very flexible so that that kind of just made me wince a little bit um what skis were you on today i was on this year's uh fisher ranger 102s i really like that ski i love it i got the hot pink one it's made me so happy Apparently, I'm not cool enough to have the hot pink one, so we're just we're just slumming it on the black and blue, you know. It's okay. thing, but it's it's all right. I, what I really wanted is I wanted one of my friends to get the blue one and me to get the pink one of the same size and then switch, so we'd each have one of each ski. And I thought that would be the coolest thing ever, but I couldn't convince any of my friends to actually get the blue one because they weren't they were afraid of like one of us backing out. Oh, well, I'd send you one. That'd be so great. I would love just like one blue and one pink ski because I think it's so cool. We might need to negotiate this <laughs> off, off air. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a, it's a really good ski. I, I was just yeah. talking about on gear 30 the other day that I've had, you know, often it's like I have to go ski a particular ski because yeah. we're reviewing it. But two of my last days where I've been like, this is for me, this is, you know, yeah. like I'm just uh, and yeah. like, so Chris, Christmas, <laughs> this past Christmas, I was like, you know what, I'm just going to ski something I want to ski. And I, I picked the Ranger 102 and I did that two seasons ago. It was the last day of the season and, and I, I reached for that ski. So, um, I don't know. Apparently we're in agreement on that. Yeah. I love that ski. I just, I skied it two years ago at a demo for work and I fell in love with it. I had 
also skied a very similar, I guess, skied in a very similar category, The Wrestler. And at the time, like, I, I also loved The Wrestler from Blizzard and ended up going with that ski at the time. And then this year, I was a little too mean to my wrestlers last season at the end of the season, decided to ski over maybe one or two many roads in a crossing where I ended up in the wrong place at the wrong time and uh, had to say goodbye to them. But I ended up with the Rangers this year and, man, they do everything I've ever wanted in the ski, which is great. There's so many other skis out there that do that, but... Everything everything you've ever wanted in a ski. Uh, Yeah, so far. I haven't taken it into certain snow conditions yet. So there's still a lot that's to see. I've only really taken this ski up maybe five times this season. So there's a lot to explore. But also what I've learned here is apparently you should not ski over roads. No, I followed a friend who said that they were knew where they were going last season. They didn't know where they were going. Are you guys still friends? We are. Huh. That's we weird. Are. That's weird. Right? <laughs> For many of the folks coming into gear exchange, would you say that it is largely and i realize i'm asking you to talk in sort of generalizations here is it largely people who are going to be skiing around the new england area as opposed to like traveling all over the place or are you seeing a fairly specific or regional clientele there right now we are um with vermont travel laws there's a two-week or a seven-week quarantine depending on a test and we do have someone at our door kind of questioning people if they have left the state or not. So right now it's very local um, just because of that. Um, But in past years, we do get a lot of people. We're so close to the Adirondacks. So we got a lot of people coming over from the Adirondacks, a lot of people coming up from Boston and Connecticut who are going to be spending a few weeks up here skiing. So in past years, it is a pretty diverse group of people. This year, it's a lot more people who are either moving up to Vermont or living in Vermont for an extended period of time, which has been kind of cool. I asked you about a few things people should know about sort of skiing in New England. Give me one or two misconceptions that people have about skiing around New England. I've mentioned it a lot. Ice, people associate New England with the ice coast of every run all the time is going to be just not the best and it's not going to be like when you're skiing on the west coast like i've always heard people being like oh it's icy today and i'm like this is ice that's <laughs> what um but we do get like the past few weeks has been this like wonderful soft easygoing grippy fast snow that's been amazing um which is i find to see i see a lot more of than i do like those icier days so that'd be one misconception another one that i find is a lot of we have a lot of really awesome big terrain so especially up in either if like there's the stow and smugglers notch region which has like some pretty big gnarly terrain and there's a lot of areas around vermont that have this amazing stuff that i think a lot of people don't know about and people often assume new england with maybe lower elevation lower terrain of some sort but i would say that there is a lot of stuff to be explored that people should come see By the way, speaking about when you were like, some people think it's ice all the time. We kind of deal with the flip of that, where it's like sometimes people in the comments section on Blister or whatever, just think we ski pow every day. Right. And it's kind of hilarious to me. I mean, first of all, (laughs) if you ski a lot, you definitely don't just ski pow 
exactly. every day anywhere on earth. Yeah, like, it's not like you're getting a foot of snow every single night. Yeah. That just weather doesn't work like that. It doesn't I work. Wish it did. Yeah. It, it doesn't work like that. But I, I just, the people that sort of do this, I'm like, have you ever, well, skied or, you know, like I, I didn't, yeah. I, I still am sometimes surprised at, at, at that kind of, um, at that kind of thought, but it's like, you know, it's like, what do you guys just ski in a foot every day? Or I don't ski pow every day. And it's like, cool. Neither do we. Yeah. That's not, that's not, it is the powder is, that's a really great added benefit, but it's definitely not every day. Like I, last year I spent a week in Colorado skiing, not a single day did it snow there, but it was amazing. The bumps were amazing. Oh, you like the Colorado bumps? I do. They're so fun. Um, but it was a great time. Like the snow was soft. It was in March and, but it didn't snow a single day. We were there and it was still great. Pow- just because it's, I mean, powder is always a fresh sheet of powder is always a beautiful thing, but it's not an everyday expectation. But you were skiing in March. I feel like if I came to the new England in March, I'd probably be able to ski some nice, like kind of slush bumps myself. No. Yeah. You probably would. There's definitely a, pretty big range february and march is anything could happen anything could happen we could get two feet it is (laughs) like all of a sudden one night we got to like a huge storm last year and it was the best skiing i'd ever had and then a few days later it was 60 degrees and then a few days later it was back down to zero and that's kind of how like those months of february and march work around all of new england but it's generally in march if you come it's going to be slush bumps with the occasional huge storm, which is nice. Yeah. I like those days. We've kind of talked a bit about like snow condition rankings and yeah, like perfect dry powder. Like I'll put that as my number one, but slush and chalk. I, I think slush and chalk for me are almost in a dead tie. Um, but like, yeah, like I, I don't know. Chalk, I love chalk. So it's so great. Yeah. There was like a day last year. I just remember one of my favorite days ever skiing was a day where it was just fresh. It was like a chalk day. And I was skiing at Cannon because I went to high school up there and no one was there. And we we're just like, all right, we're going to go ski the top of the mountain. Untouched, perfect chalk, hands down to this day, my favorite run I've ever taken. I like it. It was so great. Chalk, the, un- the, the underappreciated yeah. snow condition. We've already talked about the Fisher Ranger 102, but I'd like to hear you talk a bit about some, let's call them sort of go-to products for skiing or snowboarding or splitboarding around the New England area. And Mm -hmm. so I guess what I'm looking for here is this is either just some stuff that particularly among some of the staff at Gear Exchange or like like it's some of the favorites of some of the staff at the store or that you just have so many customers coming in looking for specific products or kind of raving about specific products. But I think it's always kind of a fun question to ask. Like when we're talking to a shop in a given locale, what is the staff into or what is kind of the community of, of skiers and snowboarders into you got any examples? Yes. Darn tough socks. Oh god. 110%. That's so I mean, no no <laughs> no hating on darn tough whatsoever. But 
That's such a like stereotype. I should have seen it that is. coming. It like, is, but it's, it's, I wish I was kidding. Like we have an entire, in the ski area, we have an entire giant display and most of it is darn tough socks of just like basically every ski sock they carry. And it's, it is a giant stereotype because Vermont is, yeah. we're very proud of our darn tough socks. Yeah. They I, have the best, but I feel like darn tough stock. <laughs> I feel like darn tough socks should be like the state bird or like, it really should or be. like the, the, the state flag. Maybe it needs both. to be like memorized somewhere. Like there's like in the flag, just like a little like darn tough logo somewhere in it. Being mm-hmm. like, this is who we are. Yeah, or or just the Vermont flag is made out of darn tough <laughs> sock material, and then you yeah. all could be like, this flag will last forever. It would. That would be beautiful. And then when it breaks, it'll be taken care of. Don't worry. They got you. The sad part is, I'm not, sorry, Vermont, I don't even think I'm wearing darn tough socks right now. I was, but it's okay. Do you know what I skied in yesterday? Darn tough socks. Darn tough socks. I did. <laughs> I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> I had to check to see if I was still wearing them right now, but I actually, I actually changed my socks from skiing yesterday. It's, which I'm is, so happy for it's you. Pretty, it's pretty big for me and kind of unusual. <laughs> no, that's like my first thing to do whenever I like, got the car. I like change my socks out from my nice cold ski socks to some nice warm, thick socks and some puffy slippers. It's the best thing ever. Okay, so f- of course, when I ask about favorite products, you come <laughs> with darn tough socks. Um, yeah. what, what else? I'd probably say we're a pretty big fan around here of our helmets and goggles, especially goggles. Um, being in New England, you have some pretty flat, unquestionable light. So for me, at least, um, I'm a huge fan of the Smith goggles. I have a pair of their Squad XLs because they come with that second lens, that Chromapop lens. And it is a nice light lens. And I also have this thing where I hate when people can see my eyes when I'm skiing. So they have like a mirrored low light lens, which is to me like the best thing ever. <laughs> so I don't think I've used that particular lens. You're, yeah. you're saying that like I am well known among my friends to be, yeah. I, I just, I'm a terrible low vis skier. I yeah. like, I like being able to see. I really, really like that. But, uh, so you're telling me that if I, someone who really wants to see you're telling mm-hmm. me that I would do all right in a mirrored low light lens. Yep. I use one. I've used one same lens for the last three years and pretty low light conditions. Um, if not, then I have a clear lens, which will work pretty fine. But I have this like, it's like a rose tinted, like, like a very light rose tinted lens. Cause with my eyes, particularly, they just don't like yellow lenses. So I have this one. I'm like, cool. I can actually see everything pretty darn well and it's great so that'd be a pretty big thing that i'd recommend to mostly everyone when they're coming to the shop i'm like like what lenses do i get what goggles i'm like first of all lowest light if you're skiing in new england especially right now maybe when closer to like springtime march april if there's still snow then then you can step it into your higher light lens but low lights so okay what if somebody comes in and says well i don't believe you about this mirrored low light lens what do you have like a go-to other lens then? Yeah, we have a few from like, um, we have like a few companies that we carry that I'll carry like Jobo Scott. They all have that rose lens or Jobo has like their reactive lenses, which are pretty cool. So it's basically like a photochromatic like changes for that. Um, but Scott and 
Solomon, they carry all like a low light lens as well. That's going to be either a rose or yellow. That's pretty faint that enough to kind of eliminate certain lights, but those are the ones I recommend to a lot of people. Okay. But it sounds like you don't have a clear, a clear cut specific second choice. You're just all about the mirrored low light lens. That's my personal preference. Okay. I've always just loved that. I'm kind of like pretty focused on that myself. <laughs> um, for everyone else, it's just kind of like whenever they're coming and they're looking for a low light lens, it's figuring, okay, do you care if it's mirrored? Do you care if it's not? Okay. Do we have any like constrictions in terms of like price or anything? Okay. And then figuring out, will this fit with your helmet? It's like the last figuring piece, which is always a fun task. What about skis? Men's or women's skis? Staff favorites or customer favorites? Yeah, um, definitely depends on the type of ski. I'd say for, actually maybe for both staff and customer favorites, the Blizzard Zero G for touring. That's a hugely popular ski, super light. Are we going like Zero G 105 or Zero G 95? We've had, I would say for staff, it would be maybe the 105. For customers, we carry the 95 which is a perfect all-around do-everything wistwaith for New, Eng- New England skiing because you can you won't nosedive if there is some fluffy snow. Yep. But it holds a pretty good edge. And yeah. I was skiing with my friend on the other day, and he was skiing those with uh, Zeds, I believe, from G3, and he was ripping on them. He was having the time of his life, and so that's probably one popular ski uh, for like more of an all-mountain ski. People tend to Love the wrestler. Um, Which one? Blizzard. Nine, ten, eleven. <laughs> nine and ten really depends on the person. Um, nine and ten are definitely going to be the most popular. Nine, just because you're going to get a little bit edge hold. Ten, it's going to be a little bit more of an all round surfy feel. So depending on the person, nine and ten are going to be super popular, as well as the Shiva is going to be in that same category. And then carving ski, we don't see too many of that true downhill carving ski, but. The Solomon Stance has been a pretty good one this year, and Armada Declivity have definitely been up there. Okay, again, I'm going to push you. <laughs> Solomon Stance, we got a 90, yeah. we got a 96, we got a 102. What I would say the 90, we carry the 90 and the 96. I would say the 90 for a round tier for that style ski is definitely going to be a little bit more popular. And then the women's, we carry both the 88 and 94, and the 88 has been doing really well. I skied it last year and I thought it was a blast for around here. Um, but definitely an all mountain pretty, like you can cruise on it. You can throw down a pretty aggressive carving turn on it. What if I don't want to be aggressive and I just want to like think about grass puppies? You can do that too. It is a stiffer ski, but you could easily, it's definitely a very maneuverable user-friendly ski. I actually totally agree with that comment for that. Yeah. Yeah. For the stance 90. Yeah. Yeah. Then I want to hear more about some of the equipment that you yourself are skiing in boots, binding skis. Are you rotating through different skis quite a bit? Or, I mean, you said you got yourself all hooked up with a new setup. Yeah. Was your setup the Ranger 102? For this year, that's like kind of my like everyday ski that I bring to the mountain. Um, it also like, I like all of my t- skis to be able to do everything. So I put for bindings, I have shifts on them just as in case I want to take them touring. Cause for me, they have the Ranger. Another reason I loved it is cause it has a really wide 
shovel to it. That tip is about like 135, which for me is perfect. So if I wanted to take it into deeper areas, I could. But that's like my everyday go over a ski for more of a downhill oriented curving ski. I have a different Ranger. I have the 99 Ti, mm-hmm. um, just a little bit more of that stable metal platform underneath. Still able to like actually play around and go in the bumps and trees with it, which has been fun. That ski actually had a very sad first day where I hit a tree and bent the tip in, but it's been since repaired. Huh. It was a very sad first day. It was actually kind of exciting because I know we got like the first damage out of the way with it. Right, which you got to do. Yeah, you have to do it. It's a hard thing to do, yeah. but we all go through it. Yeah. But that was kind of like, I normally use that for like early season and I use those with, I have a pair of Alpine boots. I have the Atomic Hawks Ultra 115 women's boot. An Alpine, and I also have it in the touring version as well. Um, just fits my skinny little foot. Um, so I have, I got the new 115 touring boots this year as well for my shifts. And then I also have, for like true touring, um, I have a pair of Atomic Vantage 107 Carbons, which sadly they don't do anymore. It's a great ski, but I have a pair of rotations on those, which I use for more true backcountry days, longer tours. Yeah. I'm curious. I don't think I know too many people who have both the Hawks Ultra (laughs) and the Hawks Ultra XTD. So are you, are you swapping between those two boots fairly regularly or? Not generally. I generally only ski the Alpine ones with my 99 TIs. Um, I just get like I could easily switch them over to using my uh, 102 FRs, but I'm just lazy. Don't really feel like adjusting my bindings all that often. <laughs> so if you're if you're in your Ranger 102, you're yeah. in your walk moded Ultra, yeah. and if you're on the 99, you're in your fully riveted. I am, yeah, which is kind of fun. It's it's a very similar boot, but they're so different. Huh. Well, this so is what I, this is what I want to hear you talk about. Yeah, it's I, awesome. <laughs> it's kind of cool owning the same boot that has the same like lower uh, cuff and yeah. shell, but they ski so differently. Like for my Alpine boots, I changed the forward lean, so I have those in a much more aggressive seventeen degree forward lean just to be in that more forward stance and above the top of that ski. But my and I actually did that to my XTDs. I was like, oh, I love being in the stance. Let's put it in that stance. My first day touring, I got some shin splints and I was like, okay, cool. We'll try it in the 15 degree. And it, for me, that's where I keep that in. Cause I love being in that little bit more of an upright stance and being more playful and surfy in the middle of the ski with it. Um, they also ski a little bit differently because of that. So I'm flexing into the boot at a different pattern. I'm flexing my XTDs a little bit more aggressively to get in front of the ski when I need to be versus with the, non XCDs, I'm already there, but it's been a fun, fun time playing around with those two. <laughs> it's also have slightly different liners. So that's been a fun journey, making them both fit perfectly, but we're there. My feet are so happy. How's, how's your personal boot fitting game? Do you go down that road or do you have? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm one of our custom boot fitters at OGE. So I've had a few bad boot fits. Some I've done myself. Some have been Sadly, done to been the you. Victim. Yep, yeah. <laughs> no, I, it was there was a rough one a few years back where I had to. I was actually in Utah and had to go get a new boot after just getting a brand new boot because it was just a sad time. <laughs> but since then, we've made 
excellent strides. We are finally in the correct boot, but it's been fun. Like being a boot fitter and entering the world of custom boot fitting, you learn so much about how the mechanics of a boot fits and how for lean ramp angle canting last and all these things and how they all work together with the boot of how to make it fit and like how one boot can fit so many different people who have vastly different shaped feet but it's a cool road we were just kind of talking a bit about recently i mean as we were coming into the start of 2020 kind of making predictions about where is gear headed and what are we going to see more of and then we just did a bit of a prediction for like kind of this coming season or this season and next and we were kind of wagering that we're going to see more and more and more in terms of the customization possibilities of ski boots. And um, I don't know, do you concur with that? Or do you think we're sort of already there in terms of what we can do? Or what's, what's your take on that? Oh, there's so much more to be done. Like boots compared to 10 years ago, there's so much more that can be done. Like you look at a place and you're like, okay, cool. I can punch, grind, do stretch that shell up, move the toe box. I can give you X amount of millimeters there, but there's still certain spots of the boot that we can't work with or certain materials that we're trying to figure out how to work with. Um, like for me, like I find a lot of like instep calf issues, things like that, that around buckle placements and how do we work around that? Um, there's a lot of amazing things doing with customization of liners and making sure that's the perfect fit um, with those, which I think is awesome. And that's a huge step. Um, customization of footbeds and giving people like different volumes. Like if someone has a mid volume foot and they have a, their foot sits a little bit lower versus a foot that sits a little bit higher, giving them two different volume footbeds and stuff like that. And it's amazing. But yes, there's a lot to go. Well, hey, I, one of the things I guess I haven't asked you yet is just in this particular season, what kind of measures or what kind of audibles have you all made at Gear Exchange in terms of, are are you going to kind of an appointment only style for boot fits or are you accepting walk-in customers right now at the shop? Tell us a little bit about how things look like at the shop. Yeah. So we are still doing, so for someone looking for a general boot fit, they're coming in, they don't own a boot already. They're looking to just buy it that person, they are more than welcome just to walk in. Um, we have currently three ski boot benches and one snowboarding boot bench. Um, each of them are fitted with a shield in front of them. So person sits on the bench, boot fitters behind the shield. And we all have our own personal benches that is assigned to us that day. If all benches are full, the person looking to get a boot fit next, they have to sign up on our wait list. Generally, like we're able to get to everyone every day. I think very rarely, if it's like the end of the day, we may not get to someone, but we'll still call them and let them know. So that's been a change compared to previously. It's like if all boot fitters were, um, if all boot fitters were occupied, then they would just kind of like wait around. We would try to find another staff or boot fitter available and maybe like set them up on another bench somewhere. But this year, we're trying to keep it very distance in that aspect. If someone needs any kind of customization, so that could starting at a heat mold, um, punching, grinding custom footbeds anything past a basic boot fit is going to be by appointment which has been extremely helpful and we have a team of like six custom boot fitters right now that are able to get everyone in within like the next 24 hours generally which has been awesome but those have been the big changes for us is just making sure everyone's really one-to-one in their own zone 
have people sign up and then vacate our whole boot fitting area. Like once generally all areas are full, we can like rope it off and make sure that no one else enters just to keep staff and the customers distance and safe, which has been kind of like, I don't want to say a benefit, but it is a benefit because it gives, instead of having like a bunch of people hovering over looking at the boot wall, it gives me time to work with the customer, figure out exactly what they need without any direct distractions of maybe being pulled in and asking if I can grab boots for other people or helmets. So that's been like a big change, but it's not a bad change in a way. This has been, we're now batting a thousand on, on this one where literally Every shop that we've talked to about this particular issue of like the appointment boot fitting, every single person I've talked with is like, can we please just make this standard going forward for the rest of our lives? And it makes perfect sense, actually. So it's, uh, we'll call this maybe the smallest silver lining to come out of COVID. It's the the, tiniest one. Like not like, it's not quite a benefit, but it's like. It's been a nice addition being able to really focus on these appointments only. And it's nice to know that you have an appointment instead of walking in and be like, I might have to wait two hours to get a boot fit. And that's a huge bummer, especially since everything around Church Street is pretty much closed. So what do you do for two hours hanging around? But yeah, I love appointments. They're a really good connection with a customer. Really going to dive deep into exactly what you need to do. But yeah. Well, Megan, thanks for telling us a bit about gear exchange and grass puppies and Burlington and um, this has been fun and it's so funny because it's like I I know like everybody in New England knows about gear exchange so so I kind of feel like I there's nothing really else to be said here but for the sake of you know we do have people listening around the world and and I think perhaps in particular you know for their benefit on this one they now know about uh they now know about a good shop in Burlington Vermont it's always fun to kind of getting to check in with people in different parts of the country and just kind of get an update on like, we spent a lot of time talking to people about making predictions about this season. It's like, well, now we're here. How's it going for everybody? And so appreciate you kind of providing your own perspective on that, on yeah. that question. Happy to. Mm. Well, Hey, I'll let you get going. Thanks for the conversation. Thank you. Talk to you soon. Okay, it's time now for our weekly segment called What We're Celebrating. And you know what? I think this week it's kind of obvious. We're celebrating grass puppies, right? And so, you know, I thought it would be fitting to raise a glass this week of Whistle Pig's Farm Stock Rye, which is a straight rye whiskey. And this that I'm holding in my hand, this is their crop number three. And, you know, this is also fitting since Whistlepig's farm and distillery is located in Vermont, just like Outdoor Gear Exchange. So, you know, let's also raise a glass to Vermont and all of the good things it brings us, including, you know, those socks from that one company. Anyway, and that brings us to the end of this episode of Gear 30. I want to say thanks to Megan for the conversation. Thanks to the strikingly handsome Justin Bob for producing this episode. And thanks to you for listening. From all of us here in Gunnison and Crested Butte, Colorado, please take good care of yourself and everybody else. And we will talk to you again on Monday, where we have a terrific conversation lined up for you over on our Blister podcast. So... 
please enjoy the weekend and we'll see you over there on our blister podcast on monday all right everybody cheers <laughs>